Welcome to the Prairie Heights Podcast. Thanks for listening today. I hope it motivates you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you connect with Christ and a church family here at Prairie Heights. Enjoy the message. It's a great day to be here. My name's Dave. Uh, I'm from Atlanta, as Doug said, and uh, this is my second time up here. I've been in Atlanta now 25 years, serving on senior leadership at 12 Stones Church, and I've had the privilege these last number of months to work along the incredibly talented staff here, and this is my second time up to teach. I was up in February, and I got to tell you, this morning, I just want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank you personally for the difference in weather uh, that I experienced from February. As I remember, it's a little foggy in my mind, but I believe it was 28 below zero without a wind chill when I got up last time to come teach on Sunday. So today as I walked out to a balmy like 30 something, I was so grateful for the 60 degree spread. Uh, so thank you. I, I don't know if you had anything to do with that or not, but uh, you know my Wyoming blood's been a little thinned having lived in Atlanta now for 25 years. So, but it's so fun to be back here. You know, as a Christ follower, a husband, father of three married kids, I am really, really excited to dive into this topic of uh, living a legacy and try to break it down in, in, in really uber practical ways because legacy can seem so lofty. So if you're like Debbie and I, I we, we had three kids, you know, the we find out real fast, as soon as you start having babies, that it's a little exhausting, and it doesn't get any easier, and it's just, you're going to be doing this for a long time. So parenting, welcome to it. Uh, we are uh, fortunate. The first child we had was incredibly compliant. Anybody? Anybody have that child, first child? It really lulls you into a false sense of security. Uh, my second child, uh, who I, uh, is Taylor, uh, he was different, and maybe the red hair should have been a bit of a giveaway, but I remember saying to Debbie, I believe Taylor is the retribution for all of my past sins. <laughs> and Taylor, if he was, it's a horse analogy, he was more like that wild prairie stallion out there that would just as soon kill you as be ridden by you, and if you did think you ever got him broke, uh, he was going to buck you off again just for no apparent reason anytime he wanted to. That's sort of the tailor. It was just, he was a tough one to raise. But I, I had to confess to my wife, uh, Taylor took after me. So the reason I say retribution for all my past sins is that he really was more like me. Our first one was more like Debbie. So it lulled us into this false sense of security. You see, I was, I was that kid. I was the wild prairie stallion. You know, when, my, when I was young... My dad was superintendent of schools there in Torrington, Wyoming, and my mom worked as a head cashier at a bank, and so uh, before I was school age, they, they brought in a gal to babysit me, a, a sweet old German lady named Hilgi. I say sweet now because I can look back on it fondly, but in the moment, it wasn't so sweet. She was a highly structured, highly disciplined, just a good German lady. And boy, she and I butted heads. I wanted to do things my way. She said, no, it's her way. And so over a course of a couple of months of her being my babysitter, I grew really tired of her. And I was not, I was that red-haired child. And so I decided, it dawned on me that if I could lure her into the basement for any particular reason, I could 
sneak upstairs and lock her in the basement. <laughs> what? Like you've never done that? Oh, you were the compliant child. Okay, I see. You know, and so I did. I drew, I drew her down to the basement and uh, snuck upstairs while she was doing something for me. And I slid the little stool over and I slid the bolt lock on the door and locked her in the basement. And then I sat on the stool and reveled in my ingenuity as she pleaded with me to get out of the basement. Wasn't going to have it. I just went into my room and thought, and now I have the upstairs to myself and I can do what I want with my time. So I went and got my stuff. I put it out in the, in the living room. I played for, I don't know, it was for quite a while. I could hear her still pleading, but I, by then I was not uh, paying any attention to it. But, you know, as time went on, and it was, it was a bit of time, have you ever had that moment when you're just sitting there on your back and then you sort of feel like somebody's looking at you? You ever had that moment? Well, this was one of those moments, and I turned around, and it was my mother. And I'm like, how did she get here? She got like ESP or something? Well, here's what I didn't know. Literally the day before, my dad had installed a phone downstairs that I did not know existed. Now, I don't know what the phone call to my mom went like, or I don't know how long, how much time passed before Hilgi had to call my mom and say, uh, David locked me in the basement. All I know is I had hell to pay when my mom got back, and it was just not good. But you know what? Over time, fell in love with Hilgi. She was great. And, and so no matter what, you, your children, first one was easy, second one was crazy wild. Uh, you know, I always said to Deb, Taylor will be the jewel in our parenting crown if we get him raised without taking him out to the prairie, dropping him off, and pretending that he got lost. Now, our third born, she was uh, quite a few years younger. Uh, she apparently lived by the motto that uh, life's a party, and I'm the honored guest. Uh, so we had three very different children, but here's what I know. You guys probably have your children, you probably know. Uh, they're all, kids are different, right? But here's the charge. The charge from scripture is that we are to, in some way, live a legacy of faith that passes down from generation to generation. And our job, regardless of the personality, is to figure out some ways to do that. And, and so in Psalm 145.4, it just says, regardless of the personality of your kids, one generation will commend your works to another. You shall declare the mighty acts. And so Debbie and I, it's, and I could have done dozens and dozens of verses from the Old Testament about this, that this was just the expectation of parents of faith passing down to the next generation their faith to their children. And Debbie and I, of course, as Christ followers, we wanted to embrace this, but it was, it's difficult to think about because legacy, legacy feels like so lofty. It's so far out there, right? Legacy, let's face it, man, with children, you're just trying to get through the next 10 minutes. You're, you're not worried about legacy. You're worried about Tuesday and trying not to strangle somebody, you know? and having to explain that to your spouse. You know, it's, that's the reality of parenting. And parenting is maddening, and it's difficult. And, and, and to think legacy just feels like it's so far away. So what Debbie and I sort of agreed to do was to try to get this down where, where legacy didn't seem too lofty. We tried to figure out ways to bring this into something smaller bites. So today, I'm gonna teach you some super practical, is it okay if I get really, really practical here? right? Is that okay? We're going to take a look at some scripture that super shaped the way Debbie and I parented. And, and there's no magic in this. We literally read this passage, looked at it and said, wow, that's wise. We should do that. And we tried to do that. And we did that for 
My oldest is now 30 years old. We're still doing it because you're never done being a parent for crying out loud, right? Until you get older and you force them to take care of you. And so then that's when they can step in. So faith, the problem with it is though, when we talk about a legacy of faith is that faith feels really intangible, right? It just feels like it's all heady and conceptual and salvation and redemption and, and judgment and, and, and theology. But here's what we know. Personal faith changes us. It changes the way we live. It gives us a new lifestyle. And so let's, let's break down what, what I think helping pass down a godly legacy is. And here's how I would like you to think about it. And I know it's, this is super cheesy. I'm embarrassed that I wrote this sentence. I'm embarrassed that I created a word, but I think this is a word you need to have in your head in order to understand legacy. Legacy begins with legacy. You have to see it to understand it. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I actually wrote this. But a legacy begins with legacy. What I'm trying to say here is this. Don't think so much about the end result, how far out here this is. Think about what's immediately in front of you. Think about the daily things that you can do to pass down, and eventually you'll have a legacy to pass on to your kids. So the, the, the most important thing to remember in this is that we're not really raising kids. We're raising future adults. We get it all mixed up. We think we're just raising children. No, we aren't. We're raising future adults. And as we do this, it takes tiny little investments over a long period of time to help a kid sort of become aware of what having a life of faith looks like. So if you'd take your electronic device or your Bible, and I'd love to have you actually go there because there's something about reading this that just changes things. So Deuteronomy 6, we're gonna take, spend some time in Deuteronomy 6, we're gonna get there, and, and, and here's what I know. Well, and let me go back to this. I, I missed something here that I think is important. Psalm 127, let's go back to this, because I think this is just critical. It says this, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. And I think what this is saying is the next generation is the single greatest resource God has given us. It's the single greatest resource God has given us. I mean, they're gonna outlast us, likely. This lovely facility we're in here, they're gonna fill it in generations to come. They're gonna be the ones that are leading it. We'll be long gone. The single greatest resource that we have, it's not our career, it's not our passions, it's not our hobbies. It's our children. And Deuteronomy 6.1 drives this home. So Deuteronomy 6.1, which incidentally, this is sort of the, the last speech that Moses gives as they go in to inherit the promised land. And interestingly, the promised land that they were going into was a very pagan culture. They didn't embrace the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was very pre-Christian, uh, much like the culture we're in today is sort of post-Christian. It's, 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 it's not really embracing some of the things we believe about being a Christ follower. And so this, this, these instructions that Moses is giving is still very applicable to us today. Deuteronomy 6.1 says this. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules that the Lord, your God, commanded me to teach you. Key, key words here. That the Lord, your God, Lord, God, yours. This should feel intensely personal because here's what we know. It's impossible to pass down a faith that isn't personal to you. 
the Lord your God. Lord means the one whom which you surrender to because he is the Lord of your life. God meaning he is all uh, powerful, all present. He's everything that we aren't. He's the creator of every single cell of our body and he's mine, he's yours. That's how faith gets passed down when it's intensely personal. It's not just knowing about a God, it's that that's your God. So Deuteronomy 6.1 comes right out, fastball down the plate. Here's how it works. This needs to be your personal faith. You can't pass down a faith that's not personal. Next verse, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. There it is again. With all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. We love the Lord our God, with everything that we have. How is that possible? Because we love him with our soul, our heart, our might. And anything that you've ever loved in your life with all of your heart and your soul and your life becomes a passion. And, and we see this constantly in, in our lives and in our culture. I, I don't care if it's sports or any other hobby, but when you love something, with your soul, and your heart, and your, and your might, this becomes a passion. Because when something becomes a passion, it's just easier to pass down. Let's face it, kids follow the passion of their parents. If you love hunting, you might pass that down. If you love fishing, if you love shopping, <laughs> you could pass that down to your kids. Why? Because you're passionate about it. You love sports of any kind. You know, if you, if you played a sport and you've got a kid in a sport, you know they're going to love it. Why? Because you were once passionate about it and maybe still are. Debbie and I have passed on a love for the Denver Broncos to our children for as good and bad as that can be. But you know what? We, we have a family slack thread dedicated to the Broncos that we, that we follow and my kids are quick to chime in. They've got opinions. I pass that down to them. Debbie passed that down to them. But you know the other thing we pass down to them? Somehow, someway, through all of our imperfections, we pass down a love for Jesus. And what I believe is the next little few verses here from Deuteronomy 6 and 7 is the essence of how you make a legacy by beginning to think about it as a legacy. And I apologize again for that word because I'm embarrassed by it, but it's right. Deuteronomy 6, look at it with me. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently with your children. Who, who should teach them? No, it's the church should teach them. The professionals should teach them. No, you, the parents. Why? Because it's your God. Because it's personal. We don't farm this off to the responsibility of somebody else. We step in. Every single parent in this place with kids who are still alive, is involved in this process. And it says, and these words I command you, you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What does diligently sound like? Constantly, daily, moment by moment. Not some way off thing that's like a legacy, but a daily, present moment type of thing. And then he says this, how do you do that? Well, you should talk about them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, 
when you lie down and when you rise. These things in your heart, it says you should talk about. And when something's in our heart, and it moves from intellectual knowledge to heart knowledge, this is when it becomes personal. And when something becomes personal, we become passionate. When something gets passionate, we begin to see change in our life. And when we see change in our life, our kids are going to see change in our life. And then God becomes a part of an everyday rhythm in our lives, even with our imperfections. We all mess up as parents. It's just the reality of it. But... We make it a natural part of everything that we do. How do we do that? It says that when you sit down. When you sit down. In the evening, you're chatting. They come home from school. They, they sit down, and we, we, we would try to do dinner together as often as we could. And yeah, we'd often start with prayers. But then we'd dive into sort of how the week went, how the day went. What are you thinking? What are you seeing? And we're just looking for natural ways that our faith sort of collides with their lives. To, to us, this was the best way to do it. We always struggled with like daily devotions as a family or whatever because it seemed a little bit forced. This was like, it just happened organically. It happened naturally. As some kid talked about, one of our kids talked about an issue or something that was concerning them. It gave us a chance to lean into that. And I can't tell you the number of times at the end of dinner that we would just take a moment and say, man, let, you know, Taylor or Caitlin or Morgan, let's, let's just pray over that before we're done tonight, before you guys go off to your homework. And we'd pray. And you know what's great about that? We're not theoretically talking about prayer. We're not saying that prayer is important. We're actually demonstrating it's very tangible. And what we need for our kids is to move faith out of the intangible to the tangible. And these little daily activities moves it out of intangible things to tangible things. And so he says, as you sit and then as you walk, as you travel, as you take trips to and from places, look for opportunities to talk to them. We had to make many trips from Atlanta back to Wyoming. It's a long drive, and it's even if you're flying, it's a long trip to get from Atlanta back to Wyoming. And we would make the most of that by finding things that reinforce it. When the kids were young, we used the, what the family, folks on the Family Adventures and Odyssey CDs. We'd put those in, and we'd listen to the episodes, and, and we'd talk about them. Why? Because it just intentionally passes down faith in a way that they actually enjoy it. And it gave us some things to talk about, which was super fun. You know, as you go through, it says, and, and, and when you lie down, in the nighttime, we would sit down, we would share prayers with each of our kids, we would take a time to pray with them. Again, prayer, recurring theme here for us, because it's tangible, it makes something that we say is important, actually, an activity that we do frequently. We would take time to tell stories, either from our lives or from the scripture, and, and we would spend time with each of our children individually as we put them down. And we did this day after day, night after night, very rarely missing this. Then it just became a daily thing that we did. And as we went on, the other thing was when you rise, when you get up in the morning, holy cow, if you've got kids in middle school and high school, I love this. When our kids were in middle school and high school, I so often would just grab them, I'd put my hands on their shoulder, and I'd just pray God's favor over them. God, it's a complicated world we live in. I pray you give Caitlin, or I pray you give Taylor, I pray you give Morgan wisdom as she goes to school. And, and uh, we pray that in Jesus' name. It doesn't have to be a 20-minute prayer. It's a 20-second prayer. But to say, as you go, you go with the presence of God in your life. And as so, then as we did all this, over the course of time, we're able to reinforce things we wanted the kids to know. I would frequently say to the kids, look, here's what we know. Wisdom will always be wisdom. Foolishness will always be foolishness. And the older you get, the more you, is absolutely the older you get, 
the more obvious this will become. And you need to learn to pay attention to that voice inside your head that when some, somebody says they're going to do something, you say, that sounds really foolish. You need to experience that sooner and sooner and sooner. And that way you're not falling into the traps that so many of your peers will. And, and we would say, man, surround yourselves with diamonds, the, the, the people that shine. They have a sense of God's purpose and character on their life, and they, they live in community, and they have competence, and they're good at what they do, and they're disciplined. Those are the people that you have as your tight, close friends. You can be friends with lots of people, but these are the people you draw close, these people who shine like diamonds. Surround yourself with them, and you will not go wrong as you grow older. And we would tell them this again and again and again. And so what I love about what Moses did in Deuteronomy 6 is he just made it so incredibly tangible, something that can happen every day in every moment of every part of the day, whether you sit, you walk, you travel, or you lay down. Super daily, which I like that a bunch. So, the other thing is, this is true, is that it's bringing your faith into this present moment. This just flat makes it tangible. So, as a, as a dad, I would even do some things different than we did as a daily. I, every week, I'd go pick up some of my kids, and, uh, and I'd take them uh, in elementary school. I'd take them to this old 1950s gas station that was sort of down by our house there in Georgia. And, and you got to think sort of Andy Griffith's show, man. It was incredible. You go in there, they had, you know... Uh, uh, radiator fans and, you know, uh, you know, all the belts for your car and all that. But they also had ice cream and, and Cokes and that stuff. And we'd grab something, and then we'd go sit out on these milk crates, and we'd talk about their week. And on nice days, I'd take my motorcycle, I'd pick them up, and then we'd drive to this little 1950s gas station. And I got more done in those times uh, than almost anybody. It happened frequently. It didn't happen all the time. It happened frequently. So, again, this is what Deb and I learned. That if you understand that legacy begins with legacy, that this is something that happens daily, it, it sort of makes up. Because, you know, we're not perfect people. I don't mean to paint this like, oh, this all went so good and you guys always did this. It, it's not true. Deb and I are just as imperfect as you are. Um, we had yelling matches with the kids. We got, I got irritated. They got grounded. They yelled at each other. Our kids were just kids, just like all kids. But we did chip away at this daily and tried to make this a part of everything that we did, and we did that from birth through 18 years old. And uh, we're still doing it from 18 to now 30. So make your faith tangible through your daily habits. That's all I'm asking you to do. That's how you begin a legacy. Just make your faith tangible through your, your, your daily habits. And as we've been learning in this relationship series, or I'm sorry, that was the last series I taught in. As we've been learning in this Multiplied series, that, that, that generosity is something that marks the life of a Christ follower, that we live generous lives. And here's what I love. I believe that your kingdom-focused generosity is one of the most tangible ways you can show your kids your faith. And again, we struggle to make faith tangible. So in our daily habits, we can do that, but we can also do that in our generosity. So make your faith more tangible through your generosity habits. If you're interested in leaving a legacy, what you do with how you manage your money on a daily basis is super helpful to kids 
because it, again, is very tangible. So do this. Start with stories. Tell stories about why that you, you give and how you give. Clearly explain how your financial decisions are made from a young age. Help them understand that. And then involve them in a life of generosity. So here's sort of some things that we did that might be helpful to you in this. In, in pre-kindergarten uh, years, in the, in the earliest of years, don't buy things to manage their feelings. You have to figure out a way to get out of that trap. Don't buy things just to pay off their feelings. Has anybody been in a grocery store checkout line with a child melting down? Let's hear it. Anybody? Anybody? Any of you guys? <laughs> right? Oh, come on. And the rest of you are lying because that's just not the way it works. They have scientifically designed those checkout aisles to, in, to force a meltdown in your children. There, it's perfect what they've done. It's insidious. And so we would try our best to explain to our children going in, like, here is what you have. You can get something, or we are not getting anything additional, and here's why we're not. And give them the reason why, and then also explain to well, about them what will happen if they tend to throw a fit in there uh, to get their way. And, and it, does it always work? Nope. We had plenty of fits in the grocery store, and yes, we had to follow through on the threats that we made about what would happen when we got home. But let me just tell you what, I love it, because what it's doing is early on in their lives, it's teaching the one principle that is absolutely missing in most of the way that people handle their finances, and that is the principle of delayed gratification, and you can't start teaching that in this culture early enough. Can I get an amen? Do you understand that? It's just true. If you don't learn the principle of delayed gratification early, you will wreck your finances. And it will, it will critically injure your ability to go be generous to anyone, right? Because why? Because you're living in the wreckage of your finances because you can't delay gratification for yourself. You're basically a preschooler in the way that you ha handle money. You're throwing a fit in the checkout line. Sorry, end of soapbox. Okay. <laughs> that got a little preachy right there. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. So in elementary, here's what we did. We did the give, save, spend jars. I think these things are brilliant. And, and there's a picture of them there. Give, save, spend. I like that order. I like putting them in that order. I like referring to them in that order. Give first, 10% in there. Save second, 10% in there. Spend 80%, live below your means. If you could teach your children one thing before they become adults is to live below their means. What they choose to give to, what they choose to save and buy, that's their business. But as parents, that's a part of our responsibility. And I love it that it's glass. I want the glass ones. I want them to see those dollar bills and those coins and those nickels and pennies and quarters in there. Why? Because again, it reminds them of money they can't spend. Why? Because that teaches them the principle of delayed gratification. We have to pass that along. If we want to leave a legacy of faith through our daily habits, we have to teach them that you're making this choice constantly, even in the way that you handle your money, so that you can live generously and have funds to, to do things that you would love to be able to do, even if it's just to help someone. So we did that in elementary school. And in junior high, we would start including them in our major financial decisions. We, we would spend all sorts of time with our kids, convincing them uh, that the sacrifices we made and the way we managed our budget makes it possible for us to give to the church 
sometimes to our neighbors, sometimes to, we have friends that we support because we believe in what they're doing or they're struggling financially and we send them money. But in order to make that happen, we have to make financial decisions that reduces expenses on one end to be able to free up resources on the other. That's called being an adult. That's called being a Christ follower. And our children need to understand that. So I would explain. I would sit down and I would show them, you know what? I mean, we never had cable when our kids grew up. We never invested in anything. It was just too much money. Why? Because I wanted the money to be available over here uh, for giving and for generosity and to be at my disposal and our disposal to be able to do something. So for years and years and years, it was like get up in the attic and hope you can get that stupid antenna to work. You know, it, it, and our kids, it drove them nuts because all their friends have cable. Well, you know what? We don't live like the rest of their friends. And here's why, and if you can understand that, and now it's just easy because everybody just gets their stuff off the internet, so you're not even having to worry about that. But junior, and junior high, we would do that. So high school, to me, this is just sort of the push for real life. So they would already be giving, they would already be tithing, they would already even be getting back from our church, just like you probably do here at Prairie Heights. We ask them to, I mean, man, fill out an envelope, turn in your tithe, do that, I'm, you know, we, we want to see you do it. And, and for the most part, this is when you just prepare them for being, uh, you know, moving them into real life. Uh, we really asked all of our kids to find a job that they could explore. I think it's good for them to find things that they like and dislike. I think that's a part of how you select your path. And so we would do that. And we would, one of the reasons that it was a motivator was we always said, we will not pay to buy you a car. You will save. And then we would pre-agree, you save X number of thousand dollars, we will contribute X number of thousands of dollars, and we'll get you a car that'll get you through college. We ain't buying the whole thing. And then when you get the car, we're gonna to agree to a percentage of what you're gonna pay for insurance or gas or whatever is the expense of that in a way that makes it make sense and doesn't just bankrupt them, but it makes them feel the weight of that decision. Why? Because again, you're dealing with the realities of life and you're trying to pass down good financial discipline. And all the while, you're gonna say, you don't get to have that car and then not save money. You don't get to have that car and not be able to have money available for generosity. Because the give, save, spend jars are still there. The only difference is the, the, the save and uh, give sides generally is in their bank accounts by now. But we tried to stay in touch with that. Why? Because it's, 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 if we felt like if coming through junior high and high school, we could con convince the kids of the power of collective generosity, that when a church body like this comes together and we bring the poultry amounts that some of us can give, and we pool it together, we can do powerful, powerful things. Do you know here at Prairie Heights, you gave a quarter of a million dollars last year to help with church plants and ministries. A quarter of them, there's very few of us. I know I can't, I can't stroke that check. I can't write the quarter of a million dollar check. But because of the power of collective giving, that can happen. And I wanted my kids to understand the power of collective giving. And so we started that young. We, we looked for things that they could do that was within their thing that would show them how powerful collective giving could be. So Operation Christmas Child, the shoeboxes. Any, any of you guys do that? Any of you guys do the shoebox thing? I loved this one because from a very young age, you could take a shoebox. My kids could take some money out of their gifts jar or their save jar, whatever they want to do. 
and, you know, or out of their spend. And they could come and they could buy $20, $30 worth of stuff to fill up a box for a boy or a girl. They get to choose which. And they get to make these decisions. We'd go make a whole night of it and come back together and we'd pack them and prepare them and they'd write the notes and all that kind of thing. And then we'd see the results of that later because uh, the... Uh, uh, Operation Christmas Child is so great about sharing these, these reveal videos where these kids get these boxes and how much it means to them. And I love that from a very young age. You know, the other thing, you know, Prairie Heights, you guys have just, you're a generous church. I love some of the stories I hear. I love the one from a few weeks ago where Servilization Sunday was happening. And uh, one of the things that you guys did, I thought was just really cool because I had to look into it a little bit to really understand how powerful it was. That, that you gave, you made and gave away a hundred blankets to the Red River Children's Advocacy Center. And this center is where they bring kids who are, they suspect are in an abusive or in a dangerous circumstance. And they bring them in. And the first thing that they do is they sit them down on a forensic interview and, and, and they determine whether there's any, if they're in any danger or if there's any uh, reason for them to be afraid. And a part of what they do is when they come in, they hand them a blanket so they can feel a little more safe, a little more secure, a little more warm as they talk to these forensics examiners about their situation. And it's just such a simple, kind way uh, that, that you can help. And so through the power of collective giving and generosity, uh, the church went out and bought, bought all the stuff to make it, and you see it happening there, and here come all the stuff for the blankets, and then they gathered together of families and children and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and just tied these blankets, and some of them are so adorable, they're so cute, I, I sort of wished I'd have got one, uh, but I think it's just the kind of thing where you look at that and you go, again, how, what a great way to be able to impress upon your kids the power of collective generosity. So, bonus points here. Post high school, what do you do with kids post high school? Uh, I'm just gonna cover this real fast. If you have kids post high school like I do, uh, one of the things that we've done is we've just said, look, we've made it abundantly clear, you are responsible for your financial choices. And the line that I use is, we can resource you, but we cannot and will not rescue you. We'll resource you, but we can't rescue you. If you crash and burn, you're gonna crash and burn. I can't rescue that, but we can resource you. So one way that that was possible, my daughter and her husband, they just had our first grandbaby, Eugene, and uh, they bought a house this last year. Watched them save and scrimp and get all their money together for uh, their down payment. And then as they move into the house, house poor, Debbie and I step in and we resource. Then we're able to put serious capital in to help them get in and move into the house and to get them the blinds and do all this stuff and spend all the money to get the stuff you gotta have. And it's great fun and we love doing it. Uh, one of the other ones, uh, Zach and Morgan, my, my third born, the life's a party and she's the honored guest. She got married a couple of years ago and Zach, who is her husband, did not have a car at the time that was reliable. So he wanted to buy a cheap, uh, sort of inexpensive car, so he saved several thousand dollars, and about a couple of months before the wedding, he bought this car, and about two, month, two weeks after owning it, he had one of these unfortunate accidents where somebody's turning right, he's turning right, pulling onto something, and they pull ahead, and they stop, and he doesn't see it because they think they're going, and he cracks up the front of his car in a way that needed to be repaired, and he couldn't afford to repair it because there's no collision on that car, it's just an inexpensive car. 
But we had watched him scrimp, save, work hard, make good choices. And so Debbie and I felt like we could step in and resource that by helping make that car repair possible. These are things we do with our post high school kids. And here's the beautiful thing. And, and you know, again, we did so many things wrong. We were very imperfect people. We were imperfect parents, no question. But here's the reality. Man, our kids ended up following Jesus. They all serve in a local church. They all use their gifts. They all give their tithes. They all prioritize their money. Uh, how did we do that? We did that when legacy becomes a legacy. We did that in the power of every day, taking some of these things and seeing to it. And here's what I believe, that the things that we did with them, they're gonna do with our children. And maybe that generation after them, maybe my children's grandchildren will be getting that same legacy passed on to them simply because I did something in this generation to live a legacy. And so we join with that Psalm 145, one generation shall commend your works to another and declare your mighty acts. And we rethink De Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy 6 just talks about the power of hero Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall today be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and you will walk with them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And we can generation by generation pass that along by moving that into our daily activity and this overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God can pour into the generations that follow us and that's gonna be my prayer as, as we close. So let's pray together. Father, we pray. We pray that something of what we do today, something of the, of the beauty of the faith that you've given us could be passed down from generation to generation, that you would help us pay attention to our lives and in those simple daily moments where we live our lives in such a way uh, that our kids and the generations that follow us might pick up and begin to uh, pass along to the next generation and declare the mighty works of God because of the personal, loving, passionate faith that we have for the Lord our God. And we pray this in the all-powerful name of Jesus. And we join together and we say together, amen. amen. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to those of you who give generously to Prairie Heights. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit prairieheights.com give for more information. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Prairie Heights. Thanks for listening and God bless.